Hello and welcome to this episode of Smarter, a podcast by clinicians for clinicians brought to you by Marta, an Australian leader in healthcare for more than a century. My name's Gillian Whiting. And I'm Bronwyn Jennings, gynaecology, oncology, clinical nurse consultant at Marta Hospital Brisbane. And we're coming to you from Mianjin, the land on which this podcast is being recorded. Today, we are joined by Professor John Hooper, Marta Foundation Fellow and Senior Research Fellow at Marta Research. John leads the Cancer Biology Research Group and is one of the co-leaders of the Marta Ovarian Cancer Research Collaborative. John has also authored more than 70 publications with his research currently focused on understanding molecular mechanisms underlying cancer. Today, he's joining us to talk about his upcoming clinical trial, which has the potential to change the way we diagnose and treat ovarian cancer. Marta. Caring for the community for more than a century. Innovators in health, education and research. Home to world-class clinicians. State-of-the-art facilities. High-quality patients. Australia's and largest and leading maternity scientific discoveries Educating into life-changing healthcare advancements. We are Marta. We are Marta. We are Marta. This is Smarter. John, welcome to Smarter. Lovely to be with you, Gillian. Now, I know it's it's complex and it's clearly very in-depth, but can you start by giving us a, a brief overview of the trial and ultimately what you're hoping to achieve? So this is what's called a phase one safety trial. And what we're doing is evaluating a new agent that we've developed as a PET-CT scanning contrast agent. So this radioactive agent will be injected into patients. What we're looking at is, number one, is it safe in patients? And number two, where does it accumulate in patients? Does it accumulate in their tumours over their normal organs? And ultimately, what's the big picture? What are you trying to solve? Well, the big picture is we're trying to diagnose ovarian cancer earlier. That's number one. And number two, we're trying to identify patients who could then go on and be treated with the same agent with a different radioactive particle attached. So we diagnose them, well, we, we stratify them for treatment essentially we identify the patients who could then go and be treated, treated with the same agent. It's very exciting. Mm. We can go into the, the diagnosis and treatment benefits in more depth shortly, but uh, take us back to the beginning. Where did this research journey begin for you? Well, it's been a very long journey for me. It was something that I discovered when I was working in the US in 2001 through to 2003, and we did the initial characterization work there. I brought that technology back to Australia with me when I returned in 2003 and have been working on this topic more or less since then on and off for about 20 years. So it's terrific to be here at this stage where we can actually take something that I discovered and developed into patients to test in patients. Very exciting. John, what trials and studies have been performed to date using this technology and these proteins? This has never actually been tested in humans before. We've done tons and tons of what are called preclinical studies to evaluate it. They look very exciting. What we have done a lot in humans is we've taken specimens from, from patients, patients who are being treated at MARTA, using their tumour specimens to look at whether the target or how often the target, the target protein is present in patient tumours. And we see that the target is present in about 90% of patient tumours. Uh, so we're very excited about that because most ovarian cancer patients could benefit from this agent ultimately if the phase one trial is successful. This trial has gone straight to humans, mm. I understand. Why is that and how, how is that happening? Yeah, so this is what's called a microdosing 
trials so that the the level of the agent, the protein component of the agent which is injected and the level of radiation that injected into the patient is, is at a micro level. So the risk to the patient is vanishingly small. And because of that, we actually fall outside of the TGA, outside their governance program, because the risk to patients is so low. But on the other side, the benefits, potential to benefits to patients is so large because of that. So weighing that all up, we can go straight into patients from, from the preclinical studies. And does that save a lot of time? Saves a lot of time and saves a lot of money. Um, to go into primates would be upwards of $5 million, probably more like 10 to $15 million to evaluate it in primates. And if this trial is successful, we will have to do that. But because of this trial, if it is successful, we will be able to attract industry money, pharma money to actually go to that next level. At this stage, there are no tests effective enough for a population-based screening program for ovarian cancer. The blood test, CA125, can be used to help diagnose or exclude ovarian cancer. However, half of all women with early-stage ovarian cancer do not have elevated CA125 levels. Raised CA125 levels could also be caused by the likes of menstruation, endometriosis or ovarian cysts. We know that one of the biggest issues facing women with ovarian cancer is early diagnosis. This can change the game. Is that mm. right? This can change the game. For, for we're, we're blessed in, in Queensland in particular but wider Australia by having um, the best standard of gynecological oncology service in the world. And so I think the most important thing for women is that they get to those services as quickly as possible from their GPs. Once they get to a gynecology service, you know you're going to get world's best practice care. And hopefully this can be added into that. So when a patient comes into the service, they can have the PET-CT scan to identify them. Okay, you should then go on and have this treatment. It helps in that decision-making process. I think that that's... Um, one of the possible outcomes, uh, uh, potentially a, a, um, a bigger uh, uh, outcome would be what's been seen, similar to what's been seen in prostate cancer with PSMA targeting. So PSMA is a similar target to what we're going after, but it's predominantly present in men's prostate, malignant prostates. And so initially when that came on to uh, the scene, it was used as a theranostic, so to identify patients who could then go and have treatment. But it's turned out to be so effective that now it's used very early on in the process to actually diagnose men who have prostate cancer. So that's like the next level outcome that we could potentially achieve with this agent. And I don't want to oversell it. It's very important um, ethically, I think, not to oversell this, but that's personally something that, you know, would be such a fantastic outcome for us. Very exciting, as you said before. Yeah, Absolutely. So is that is a potential application then that it could be taken back a step further and introduced as part of a population-wide screening program? I'm not sure if it ever could ever be implemented, you know better than me, Brian, in terms of a population-wide screening process. But my great hope, and one thing I don't want to oversell this, is that it could come much earlier and potentially be used by GPs even during that process, where there could actually be a step before that in a, in a population-wide screening process. I think even I wouldn't, wouldn't dream of that at this stage, yeah. What does it involve from a patient's perspective? 
So patient's perspective, um, the, the patients will be recruited from the MARTA Gynecological Oncology Service and the Royal Brisbane Gynecological Oncology Service. When they uh, are involved in the trial, if they decide to go on to be involved in the trial, they will uh, uh, arrive at the nuclear medicine department at the Royal Brisbane Hospital on day one. They'll be um, evaluated by the team there just to make sure that they are fine on the day. They'll then be injected with the micro dose of the agent. They will then be monitored for three to four hours. Um, then they move across to what's called the Hurston Imaging Research Facility where they'll have the PET-CT scan. And that'll take somewhere between half an hour to two hours. Then they'll come back two days after that and then another three days after that. So it'll take about five or six days of them uh, with three visits to the Royal Brisbane Hospital uh, and they'll be very thoroughly monitored by the nuclear medicine department over there and very accomplished in these sort of trials. John, how long do you anticipate the trial will take to recruit the number of participants you need? In best case scenario, Bron, it'll be two years. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're really setting up our systems to be as efficient as possible in identifying patients and then recruiting them into the trial and then scheduling them so that we get the biggest bang for buck in terms of when they can be um, uh, scanned over at the Royal. We do have to be careful that we monitor the patients, particularly the earlier patients, so that we don't start the next patient till we're completely satisfied that everything has gone well for those first couple of patients. Yeah. How many participants are you wanting to recruit for the Somewhere study? Somewhere between 15 and 30 patients, depending upon how many patients we need to optimise the scanning process. Yeah. From June 2023, hospital accreditation through the Australian Health Service Safety and Quality Accreditation Scheme includes an assessment against a new National Clinical Trials Governance Framework that aims to embed clinical trial delivery into clinical care and report back to consumers, workforce and governance structure. You mentioned uh, briefly before about the second phase of the process, looking at the treatment itself. What's the working theory around this? So the working theory is that um, a good proportion, say 70 to 80% of ovarian cancer patients, maybe 90% of ovarian cancer patients will have the target. Of those, we're predicting based upon the analysis that we've done, about 50%, up to 50% would have high enough levels of the target to then go on and have the treatment. That's what we're predicting based upon the data that we have. Now, for that 50% of patients they would then receive the agent as a treatment. So in the initial PET-CT scan, we attach a radioactive particle called zirconium-89. If they then go on and have the treatment, we switch the radioactive particle from zirconium-89 to a high-energy emitter called lutetium-177. So essentially what you're doing is the from the scan, you know how much of the agent actually accumulates in patient tumours. And then when you switch across to the... Uh, the high energy beta emitter, you know that it's attaching to the cancer cells and that emission is going to be given off and then kill the surrounding cancer cells. So you can be more confident from that first step that you're treating the tumour and you're also not causing harm to the patient. John, based on the evidence and studies to date, what's your, your scientific gut feeling? What do you think the outcomes of this study are going to be? As I said, Bromer, I think the best case scenario would be that about 50% of patients would then be eligible to go on and have, have a treatment. And I think that's important, certainly for those patients that can go and have a treatment. It's also important for the other patients 
that they can quickly be identified as they're not going to benefit from this treatment, therefore we need to move them on to other new treatments that are coming through. And I think we're in a very exciting phase in ovarian cancer research and, and research into other gynecological cancers because there are, other, are a lot of new therapies coming through for, that are going to be evaluated in the next five years. Yeah. We know these things take time. When do you think that phase of the trial will be completed? Oh, yeah. Is that yeah. <laughs> looking in the crystal ball? And, and also what, what are the biggest challenges that you expect during that phase? Yeah, so we, we expect that certainly within the two years we'll have a very good understanding of how good a target we really have and possibly within the first three patients we may have a good feel for that. Um, after that, if, if the trial data is positive, I think we're going to have a lot of interest from commercial, you know, the, the big pharmaceutical companies that want to fund the further development of it. The stage that we're at, there are just so many new candidates coming through. The pharmaceutical companies don't know what to invest in really because it's just so many, so much, things have so much potential. When you get through a phase one uh, trial, then the, the pharmaceutical companies can have much more confidence and that's when they're prepared to jump in and invest many hundreds of millions in doing the things like the primate studies and then the treatment trials, which are very, very expensive. Uh, and so if, if all that looks good, uh, I think, um, you know, the regulatory regime, the way it is, it could be another seven years before a treatment could start to be, you know, really uh, implemented in the early phases into patients. Yeah. John, earlier you mentioned that this type of process has been used with prostate cancers. Mm. In terms of broader applications, could this kind of technology be promoted for different types of other types of cancers as well? Yeah, Bron, that's a really good question. We're very excited about it as a target. Um, it's not very widely expressed in normal human tissues, but it is very highly expressed in a number of um, you know, significant cancer. So a lot of breast cancer patients have this target, bladder cancer patients, um, uh, lung cancer patients, even colorectal cancer patients, and even uh, men who have aggressive prostate cancers that aren't eligible for, for PSMA-targeted treatments. So we're very, I'm, I'm very hopeful that, uh, that this will be a, an agent that can be used in a range of different cancers. There's, there's, a, there's a significant upside with this, yeah. Uh, it, it's been a long journey, mm. as, as you've said, and, and it is getting to that very exciting point. You must feel incredibly proud of, of where you are at, at this point. <laughs> proud and exhausted, Julie, yeah. I have to say. It's, it has been a long journey and it, it's been a wonderful uh, learning experience. I'm a scientist by training and the last um, certainly four years and, and a little bit longer has been more of a translational journey where you're taking a discovery from the laboratory through into the clinic. So I've, I've learned a hell of a lot. And because of that, I think we're in a fantastic position, um, myself personally, but also the Southeast Queensland research community in being able to conduct more and more of these studies. You know, many of my colleagues, scientific colleagues, are seeing what I'm doing and they know that, okay, John's done that, we can have a crack at it too. And the systems are in place now to go from the laboratory into patients locally. And we've, we've had examples of that before, but there really is a groundswell in the community of being able to do that now. It's giving everyone a lot of confidence, which is fantastic to see. So, John, before we go, we'd like to introduce you to a little segment we call The Checkup. So this is about 
finding out a little bit more about you um, uh, as a professional, also as a person as well. So, Bronwyn's going to ask you five quick questions. Right. Brace yourself. You ready? <laughs> <laughs> so, the first question, if you weren't doing this, what would you be doing? What would I be doing? Well, actually, before I started training as a scientist, I was an accountant, chartered accountant. So Whoa. I'd probably still be a chartered accountant. <laughs> there you go. Saving lives in a different way, maybe. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> if you could impart one piece of knowledge on a science student, what would it be? To enjoy yourself, to enjoy the journey. That's the most important thing. If a genie could grant you one wish, what would it be? Oh, a cure ovarian cancer. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If you had a day off today, what would you be doing? I'd be having a lovely lunch, a lovely cafe with my wife and two kids. And the final question, what TV show best portrays your profession? I'm Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. A fantastic answer. It's been great to meet you, John, and thanks so much for joining us on Smarter. My pleasure, Julian. For our listeners at home or in the car or having a well-deserved break between patients, thanks for tuning in. Join us for our next episode where we continue exploring women's health. See you next time on Smarter.